Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for an opportunity to come into your house and to learn from your word, God. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day, God, that you've given us. Thank you for the rain we've had this weekend, God. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. And Father, thank you, Lord, for waking us up this morning, because God, once again, that means you're not done with us yet. And we have purpose. We have things to do for your glory and for your kingdom work. God, I pray that this morning you will open our ears, God, to hear what you have to say. And I ask, Father God, that you will completely empty me of me, God, and speak through me this morning for your honor and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This morning, we're going to be going through a few, a few passages in the Word. Uh, we're going to start out in 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to start out. And then in our study books, we're going to be on page 76. And this morning, we're going to discuss, we are going to talk about feeding on God's Word. Feeding on God's Word is what we're going to talk about this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants longing for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. That's key right there. We always like to we we always quote real quickly like newborn infants longing for pure spiritual milk but the key to that verse is the second half but that it I'm sorry that by it you may grow up into salvation grow up into salvation and verse 3 says this if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I was talking about growing up into salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. So just as newborn child requires regular feeding, so we must regularly feed on the Word of God. Just as newborn infants desire milk, its desire for milk is all-encompassing and even desperate at times, right? even desperate at times, sometimes causing the child's need to be heard by all. Because when a baby's hungry, that baby's going to let you know he's hungry, right? They are going to get your attention one way or the other saying, feed me. So should our desire for the word of God be. Our desire should be that intense, New Christians, as well as those who have known God for a long time, must never lose their spiritual appetite and their hunger for the pure nourishment of God's Word, for it is our source of life. It's a sure sign of our spiritual health. A sure sign of our spiritual health is a deep desire to feed on the living and enduring Word of God. For this reason, we must be alert to any loss of hunger and thirst for God's word due to wrong attitudes or being choked by carnal cares and riches and pleasures of life 
Only by spending time in God's word will you be able to grow up into salvation, as it said in verse 3. Rather than remaining a spiritual infant or immature child of God, we need to have our radar up. Everybody in here knows when you first got saved, okay, I'm just going to be honest. When I got saved, when I got saved when I was 16 years old at church camp, when I got saved, I could not get enough of the word. Even though I'd been in it my whole life, it was like this fresh new book, this fresh new shot of adrenaline, and I just wanted to get in it. But then I started to let that fade away. And my, I, I lost my desire. And then when I lost my desire, a lot of other things kind of fell away, and then the devil gained access. We have to be cautious to not lose the desire for God's word. How, let's see, where are we at now? I almost messed up and read you something a second time. Maybe I should have. I don't know. That's God saying we need to hear it again. However, infants grow and their dietary needs change, right? Where, where milk once sufficed, a growing child needs solid food to ensure physical health. Scripture presents this as an analogy of our growth in Christ. Newborn babies in Christ must have regular feedings of the milk of the word of God that they may grow and stay spiritually healthy. When people mature in Christ, even as us in our physical bodies, when we mature, we must have solid food, meat. And as a Christian, you must grow from milk to solid food, meat of the word. If not, there can be a falling away. There could be a falling away. Turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 5. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. And we're going to read Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 through Hebrews chapter 6 verse 9. And this section is titled, Warning Against Apostasy. Warning Against Apostasy. What is apostasy? It is abandonment of one's religion faith, or principles. It is an abandonment of what one has professed, a total desertion or departure from one's faith or principles. That's what apostasy is. And in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, it says this, about this, we have much to say. <laughs> we have much to say. And it is hard to explain. So the author is just throwing it out there right at the beginning. We got much to say about it, but it's hard to explain. There are some things in the word that are very crucial, and there's much to be said about it, but really hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since 
he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Chapter 6, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. I want to pause right there. I find it very interesting because it says in verse 6, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Elementary doctrine. And he goes on to prove, what is elementary doctrine? <laughs> Instruction about washing. That's elementary doctrine, according to the author. Laying on of hands. <laughs> Here's a big one. Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. That's elementary doctrine. Elementary doctrine. Verse 4 says this, and here's where it gets really warning, which is not English. It's okay, we can laugh just for a minute because it's fixing to get tough right here. Verse 4 says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So the author is pretty, pretty, pretty poignant, right? He throws it out there. There's a, there's a lot of discussion, and I've, I've said this before. Can you lose your salvation? Can you not? All famous argument in the church. Shouldn't be. Because right here in the Word, it lays it out. It lays it out in the Word of what can happen. So there is no argument. Because it says, warning against apostasy. The problem is we don't want to look up what these words mean. We're lazy in our study. We expect to sit in the pew and have someone tell us what to do without going in and researching and finding it out for ourselves. We talked about this in small group. 
Pastor Amanda has said, if not once, a million times, write it down and make it plain. My son, when he was growing up and he would mess his spelling words up, I would sit down and with him and the words that he missed, I would make him write those words 10 times. And you know what the funny thing is? After he wrote those words, he never missed them again. Why? Because he put pen to paper and he wrote and saw with his eyes each 10 times, which then burned an image in his brain. So then he would go take a test and make 100. The Bible says, warning against apostasy. Don't fall away, but there can be a falling away. Which means, because it says right there, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Which means, if you have been enlightened, guess what? You have come and you've bowed your knee at an, al knee at an altar and asked for forgiveness. That's enlightenment, right? Who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift who have been in the middle of services, experienced the power of God, the fire, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because it says, tasted of the heavenly gift, what are the gifts of the Spirit? And have shared in the Holy Spirit. So those go hand in hand. Tasted the goodness of God's Word and the powers of of the age to come. So that means someone who has come in a Holy Ghost-filled, Spirit-filled church and has partaken in all of the blessings and the advantages of God. It says that they can even fall away. Why? Because they're not mature in the Word. They may have a doctorate degree. <laughs> they may have a doctorate degree in sitting on the pew and opening up the word that the pastor tells them to open up to. They may, they may have a doctorate in that, but they don't have a doctorate in digging in for themselves and reading and letting it burn in their brains. Because when the tempter comes at that point, pastor salvation is not going to help you. Pastor's dedication in his study is not going to keep you from falling. Only your maturity in the Word of God will do that. So there's a great warning. But see, the author here, it's, it's cool. He hammers them with that, right? That's a hard word. But then he comes back and says in verse 9, Though we speak in this way, though I've just come and sandblasted you, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. So what he's saying is, he says, I see the good in you. I see the salvation in you. But I want to warn you, don't fall away. So I'm here this morning to say, don't fall away. I see the good in you. I see the love that you have. For God, because if not, you probably wouldn't be here at 916 in the morning for Sunday school before church, right? 30 minutes from your house. So we see the good, I see the good, but just because you're making the effort today, don't allow yourself to fall away and lose that yearning. Because 
if you do, according to Hebrews verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, we see what can happen if you do. So let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Tragically, a great deal of spiritual immaturity is seen in the church today, right? We see it a lot in the church today. And it's evidenced by envy and strife and division. But I just want to, I, I want to, uh, I want to help you feel good about something. It didn't just start in this generation. It didn't. You know when this started? <laughs> this started all the way back in the days of Paul when he was out ministering to the Corinth church and when he was out teaching and preaching the word of God, when he left and then placed people in charge there, those people continued to preach, but then there was envy and strife in the church because they didn't want, they didn't pursue spiritual maturity. So this isn't something new. This is something that has gone on ever since salvation became salvation through the blood of Jesus. This is because... Many Christians are babies in Christ. All of this, because they are still babies in Christ, still feeding on the milk of the Word and not solid food. They are behaving like babies and not mature people. They're behaving like babies and not mature people. When we eat of the solid food of the Word, we are transformed by its power. We begin to see ourselves in Christ and our eternal destiny begins to unfold in our hearts and in our lives when we're feeding on the meat of the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. Verse 3, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not the flesh and behaving only in a human way? See, characteristically, we as the church, we want to put all humankind into two categories. We want to put them in the saved and unsaved category. But in studying this out, there's a third category. And I want to teach it out a little bit for the next few minutes, the best I can. The Bible, even itself, typically divides all humans into two categories. One, those who do not have a personal relationship with God and are still following their own sinful way. And then those who have accepted God's forgiveness and are living in a personal relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. Ideally, those who follow Christ are to be completely submitted to God and relying on his power to resist the pull of their human nature to sin. However, the Bible does draw further distinction among those who have yielded their lives to Christ. We will also look at this third category of people. This last group consists of believers who continue to follow their own desires, which reflect the ways of the world 
when it's convenient or serves their own purposes. Though they have not rejected God, these worldly Christians, which is the third class, worldly Christians, often compromise with activity and behaviors that dangerously expose them to the influence of evil. A worldly Christian. And that's where I'm going to spend most of my time on. So, so let's just really quick. The, the, the first person, the Bible, and that we know about is the natural or unspiritual man or woman. Right? So basically, these are those who have not been spiritually renewed, transformed, or born again. Okay? We know that. That's basic. We got that. The second kind of people are the spiritual man and woman which they are the ones who have been spiritually renewed and transformed through personal faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. They are the ones who have come in, they've bowed a knee, they felt the calling, they felt the tug, they felt the conviction, and they've given their hearts to Christ. So now let's go on here for a few minutes to the further distinction among Christians. Although born-again Christians have received new life of God's Spirit, they still have the presence of the sinful human nature with its pull towards rebellion against God. We still have that. We still have flesh, okay? We still have that. This sinful nature cannot be made good. It must be put to death spiritually, crucified with Christ, and overcome through the help and the power of God's Spirit. Christ's followers overcome their human nature by denying themselves daily, which means putting aside their own selfish desires and choosing God's way. That's how we do it. They make a willful, definite choice to remove, their, remove from their lives anything that could compromise their relationship with God or cause them to defy or displease him. They make a willing, a conscious choice to do so. They also use self-discipline to avoid and resist all sinful temptations. Self-discipline. Don't put yourself in a situation to where you can be tempted. Right? By the power of God's Spirit within them, Christians war against sinful nature, crucifying it, putting it to death daily. In fact, they consider themselves dead to sin, for example, free from its controlling and unresponsive to, the, to its influences. Unresponsive to its influences. Whatever your temptation could be, it can run in front of you, but you can cast it down, deny it, and move on. Right? By this process of self-denial, and surrendering to the Holy Spirit's purifying and developing work, Christians are set free from the power and the control of sinful nature. In this way, we can live as truly spiritual, self, I mean, spirit-led, not self-led, that'd be bad, spirit-led, spirit-empowered Christians. That's how we do it. But not all Christians make the required effort. Not all of us do it, which is why there are still those feeding on the milk and not the meat. 
In addressing the Corinthians, Paul points out that some of them were behaving in a worldly or unspiritual manner. Instead of consistently resisting the pull of their sinful nature towards sin, they often gave in to at least some sinful behavior. Although they were not living in continual sorry, although they were not living continually in disobedience, they were in the process of compromising with the world's beliefs and behaviors in their own sinful nature. Such people were giving the devil the opportunity to gain influence in areas of their lives while they still wanted to be a part of God's people. <laughs> Where do we see that at? Let's go all the way back to Genesis 3. Did God surely say? Did he really say? To me, that's the exact same thing as saying, well, it's all right. I'll go out here and party with my friends on the weekend. It's cool. It ain't going to affect me. I will be a spiritual influence on them. While they're out there drinking, I'll have my water. I will be the designated driver. While in there, bone chicken, boogie woogie, and whatever in. All around you. Wanting well, just a little bit of it, but in your mind, justifying what you're doing. <laughs> you can't do that. The Bible says, come out and be ye separate. He doesn't say, come out and be snobs. No. But come out and be ye separate. Which means, come out from the things that you used to do and take on a mind and life of Christ. And people say, well, God hung out with sinners. You're right, he did. But he didn't necessarily hang out with sinners. When Jesus walked in and sat with sinners, something happened. The sinner changed and became like Christ. Christ didn't change and become like the sinner. There's a difference there. Which, this is not my notes and we're not going to go here right today, but which is the difference in loving the sinner and hating the sin? Everybody wants to use that phrase to justify hanging and staying in the midst of sin. Well, I'm just loving the sinner. Right, are you? Because if you were loving the sinner, you would be calling them out and, getting, and asking them, pleading with them to repent and turn from their wicked ways, which is what Jesus did when he sat with sinners. See how easy it is to manipulate the word to make it justify what you want to do? Can't do that. That's why Revelation 22 warns against it. So there are three different conditions of worldly Christians. Man, I don't have time to get to them all. Real quickly, for this group, sin and rebellion did not fully control their lives, nor had they been involved in the immoral, ungodly behaviors that would completely separate them from God's kingdom. Yet they were behaving in such a way that they were no longer growing in their relationship with God. They were acting as immature believers who did not yet fully understand what it meant to follow Christ and how it should affect their daily lives. My Lord, that in and of itself, y'all, that is where, dare I say, 90%, I'll be nice, 85% of the church today, modern day church lives. 
It's time to get back to holiness. Not the religion of holiness, not that spirit of religion, but holiness. A heart posture. It's time to get back to taking the word for what it says. Every word in this Bible is not just happenstance or rhetoric. If it says warning, don't do, you probably shouldn't do it. Because God told Adam and Eve, eat of this fruit and you will surely die. What happened? They died instantly? No. Spiritually, instantly? Yes. Physically, no. But guess what they did do eventually physically? They died. You may not see the fruit of your sin immediately, or you may, but you will eventually. That's why you can't have one foot in the world and one foot in God. So I'm going to give you the warnings. I'm going to skip down to the third part. I'm going to give you the warnings. First warning, a worldly Christian must realize that they are in danger of losing their faith if they are unwilling to turn from all that displeases God. So I'm going to stand here today and confidently say because of the word and what I have showed you this morning, if you have bowed your knee and asked God for forgiveness and come into your life to be a Christian, but yet you live like the world, I'm going to say that that is null and void. According to Hebrews 5 and 6. Two, they must learn from the tragic examples of the Israelites whom God destroyed because of their rebellion against him. If God destroyed his own people, he will judge you as well. Because when we are engrafted, as I taught last week, when we are engrafted, and when we become Christians, and when we become engrafted into Christ, if we are not producing, he will cut us off, and the dead limbs will be burned in the fire. And guess where else we just read that? In Hebrews chapter 6 today. To further clarify the point. Number three, a worldly Christian must understand that it is impossible to fully participate in God's plan and purposes while giving in to the influences of Satan the world, and their own sinful nature. You're not going to fully participate in God's plan. So when you're not fully participating in God's plan, you get frustrated. Then you get mad at God when God's not the one who changed. You did. Mic drop on that one. Number four, they must separate and walk different paths than those in the world. A worldly Christian, we have to, as I said earlier, come out and be different. You have to separate and walk a different path than those in the world. Because if you're walking with the world, you're going to walk right in the pits of hell with them. That's why it says wide, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads. That's why the word also says in Matthew 7, there will be those who stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. I did all these works in your name. Look what I did. And he's going to say, depart from me, because I never knew you. By accepting the help and the power of the Holy Spirit, we all can purify 
ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness and completion in the fear of God. By accepting the help and power of the Holy Spirit, we have to accept it. We have to be willing to accept it. But in order to, <laughs> uh, but in order to accept it, we have to want it. In order to accept it, we have to search for it. In order to accept it, we have to dig for it. By dying daily to our sinful flesh, we have to. It, it, it's, not a, it's not a, well, you might be able to get by. No, you can't. And it's not, well, I can be good today, but not tomorrow. No, it's an everyday thing. No, we cannot take a day off. When you're working out, okay, yeah, you may need a day for your body to rest. Your spiritual man cannot afford to take a day off. You can't. You take that day off, you drop your shield, you drop your Ephesians 6 warning up, you are going to get hit, and you are going to get hit hard. And the problem with that is you don't know if you'll be able to get up. Because you yourself have allowed your guard to go down. It wasn't God's fault, but it's our fault. That's what happens, oh, like Pastor Amanda taught on the safari. They say, keep everything inside the vehicle and you're going to be okay. But you stick your arm outside there, you're opening it up for that line to come rip your arm off. And I'm pretty sure that if that line rips your arm off, it's not coming back. So when you step outside of the will of God, husbands, men, you are now opening yourself up for attack. And you know what else you're also doing, men and husbands? You are covering. You are your covering over your wife and your family. So guess what happens? You take yourself out of the picture, and now that leaves your wife and your children uncovered. You can't do that. Wives, ladies, if your husband steps out, now you're the covering over your children. If you decide, well, he didn't do it, I'm mad, I'm stepping out, then guess what? Your children's covering is now over. And now they are going to suffer because of your lack to stay faithful. There was a church, there was a family before a church, there was a family before ministry. You may not care enough about yourself spiritually, but care enough about your loved ones spiritually <laughs> to stay in the Word. I love y'all. I mean it. I really do. And I'm, I, I promise you, it, uh, God is getting us back to holiness. We have to because where we're at in the world got to be because if not we will fall by the wayside we will be pruned and we will be burned so you have a choice today we all have a choice today holiness or hell as the old song says holiness or hell holiness or hell if you don't turn you'll surely burn it's holiness or hell i mean that that's the way it was back in the day but it's holiness or hell it's time to get back to holiness Father, thank you for today.
Thank you, Lord, for your warning. Thank you, God, for caring and loving us enough, Father, that you put these words in the Bible to throw up a big red blinking sign saying, warning, don't do this. I have provided a way, and God, help us to heed your warning. Help us, God, to understand and know what you have called us to do. God, allow us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord through the word. Help us, Father, to continue to die to our flesh daily, to continue to seek after you, Father. I pray, God, Lord, that you will work in our lives. Allow us to be mature Christians, not immature Christians, God. Lord, I pray that you will be with the rest of the service today, God. I pray that you will anoint and bless our pastors, our worship team, every person, God, that is working and serving today, God. Lord, use them in a mighty way. God, I pray that everyone who walks through those doors, God, their lives will be changed for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.